Good morning. If you would please look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, If you would please stand with me as we show honor and respect for the Word of God as I read out of Matthew chapter 1. I'm starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph spoke, or woke from sleep. He did as the angel Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, my words are not what are as powerful as the word of God. I just Desire that you would have me to speak in a way that honor and please you, not to please men. And Lord, I pray your word would go forth and do what you desire it to do in the hearts of all that are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to thank my friends from Apple that are here today. It is nice to have them here. I am very honored that they are here today. You know, I was thinking as our pastor asked me to share today about this, the different advents and the time of the year, our subject of love, and, and there's such a warped, twisted view of love today. You ever given really any thought to what a definition of love is, really? I want you to think about it today. Please don't see me as just somebody that's here to lecture you. I want you to actively within your mind participate and think what I'm sharing with you today. I want you to pay attention as we read and read with me as we go through Scripture today. But have you ever thought about what a good definition of love is if you ask and you're going to get so many ideas if you live, we live in a society where, in a culture where the definition of love is really depending on who you ask. To be very honest with you, some people would think that it means lust. Really, they do. It's that, to them, that's synonymous. I love you. No, not really. They say they are really lusting, but they think and use that as the word for love. To another, it means maybe sitting next to another and growing old with them and putting up with their faults. That's love. Uh, Another person says that it means remaining committed to someone and just being faithful to them. And I suppose a couple definitions may touch on 
what love is. You think about it, it's not really, though, what a good definition of love really is. I have to tell you, as you know, many of you know, and in the, our community group that, <clears throat> that I share with on Wednesday nights, that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. <clears throat> so I, in my mind, love was if I could perform so that my parents would love me. When I did not perform love was withheld. So the view of love was very twisted. I didn't understand love. I, I didn't see a good picture of that love. And so when I was growing older and then all of a sudden and when I was 20 and 21 when I became a Christian, I started hearing stories about God loving me and I'm like, okay, so what have I got to do to perform for Him? And of course, you can't perform to make God love you. There's not enough. There's never enough you can do. You can't do enough. Then I realized Christ did enough, and I needed to embrace Christ and acknowledge my sin. So that's why the idea of today of falling in love, really, it sounds romantic. It's not really real, though. I mean, really, if you think about that. We fall into lust. We fall into intrigue. We fall into infatuation. We don't fall into love. So the first thing that I want to focus on, if you will look back in verses 18 and 19, is that we've got a problem. There is a problem here that's going on. And we're going to see God's love being displayed to Joseph. We're going to see the love that Joseph has for Mary. Amazing, beautiful picture here. So the problem is, is that, that we've got a real shocking discovery here. So you'll see there, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So, the idea, and I want to go ahead and talk about this just for a moment, because I think there's a huge, um, I think there's huge reasons why we need to touch on it, and you'll see in a moment. But you will see in verse 18, your version may mention Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Another version may say that they were espoused to each other. Marriages were arranged back then. I know that sounds rather odd, but just follow me for a moment. They were arranged by individuals of the parents, you know, maybe if parents weren't alive, then family members would. Contracts were negotiated. Follow me, though. After this was accomplished, the individuals were considered married. They were, in a sense, in a sense, called in that time, called husband and wife. And notice that. And it says later on, though, if you'll notice in verse 20, that the angel tells him, you need to take Mary, take her as your wife. This was called the betrothal, the espousal. So I like what Edersheim talks about in his Jewish history. I was reading up on it a little bit. And he, he says here that an espousal was an arrangement between a man and a woman which said the two were committed to be married in the future. This commitment 
was a much stronger commitment than what we today call an engagement when a man gives a woman a ring. An espousal or betrothal was more than a mere promise. It was a legal agreement accompanied by the payment of some form of dowry. The espousal or betrothal agreement was made solemn by the presence of at least two witnesses. And from that moment, Mary was the betrothed espoused wife of Joseph. Their relationship, follow me now, their relationship was already as sacred as if they had been formally married. Any breach of this agreement any breach would be treated as adultery. Any breach. And it could not be dissolved except by divorce. Hence, verse 19, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her. So, but follow me now. There's a little more to this. They did not, however, begin to live together. Instead, what would happen is the woman would live with her parents and the man would live with his parents for a year. They would not live together. They would not be together physically at all. The waiting period, this was important here, the waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity concerning the bride. If she was found to be with child, it would show up within that year. And they know then she had been unfaithful in that agreement which was binding. So if, however, the one-year period, everything demonstrates well and the purity of the bride is demonstrated, then the husband would go and march to her house with a great procession and he would go and he would ask... The father, may I have my bride? And he would know it's coming. And they would celebrate and she would go and live with him and they would be together physically and everything was consummated. But it still, though, before that time was a legal binding agreement. It was viewed as very, very important. So, to understand what's going on here now, Mary and Joseph were within their one-year period, in their one-year period, when he finds out she's with child. This causes a problem. You see, this is a real issue here. This isn't just like, oh, well, you know, okay, that's these things. No, no, this is a big deal. The reason why that we wouldn't view it as a big deal, because our culture has changed. But what God says hasn't changed. Okay? So moving forward now, there's nothing really that Joseph knew about Mary that made this confession of her being pregnant here and that she was found to be with child. I love the nativity story. They do a beautiful job in that movie if you haven't seen it. Mary's coming back from after having been with Elizabeth. And Mary gets off the wagon, and a young girl is helping her and notices her stomach is rounded. Can't you just see that picture? 
Little boys, they wouldn't know. They're just too busy punching each other and having fun. And there's girls going. They just know. They know. It's not bad. It's good. They know, though. And all of a sudden, when she looks, everybody looks. And then the dads are looking. I promise dads are right there in step pretty close. I would. Can't you imagine this, though? I mean, there's a problem. Joseph has to be devastated. This isn't normal behavior. This isn't normal that all of a sudden a child is just mysteriously put within a little girl. That's that's not norm. But then then this problem starts to magnify. It gets larger. And then this, this announcement happens. And Mary says, you know, it's okay. And he's thinking, no, it's not okay. This isn't okay. She says, I'm still a virgin. Now, you have, to, you have to think, well, that's probably easy to think that, but really? It's easy for him to understand that? Really, is it? I don't think so. See, an angel had prepared her, visited her, and helped her understand, but... She had been made pregnant supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to Israel's Messiah. Little is said now about Joseph, and you can imagine how this man's heart had to be broken. He genuinely had built a love and a commitment in his heart toward her that he was going to be there and provide for her. And the word came that she's pregnant and his. Love for her is demonstrated by his actions because he's not going to create a public scandal out of her by exposing her condition to the judges at the city gate where they would sit. So, Jesus' birth creates this predicament now. Joseph faces probably the predicament of his life. You have to think about it for a second now. He, he, he faces the biggest predicament of his life, all right? And, and, and this is really interesting here in verse 19, and her husband Joseph being a just, honorable, respected, godly man. He's not willing to make her a public example. He has a very troubled spirit, I am sure, at this moment. He's literally... Torn between obeying the law, exposing Mary to the authorities. Sounds harsh, folks. Behavior was looked upon as serious. Very serious. So he's torn between obeying the law and he loves this woman. Because you have to think about this a little bit more now. You want to do the right thing according to the law of the land of that day. You expose her. And according to Deuteronomy 22, she is to be stoned. Oh, don't worry. The man would have been sought out too. So, there's a real problem. Love what's right. Love what's right. That's, that's, that's tough. Because, see, the discovery of this pregnancy caused Joseph to decide that, okay, I'm going to bring an end to this 
to this marriage, I'm going to bring a permanent and a legal end here to this. So this potential divorce here of Joseph and Mary was another major part of Joseph needing some wisdom from the Lord of what to do. You have to think about it. But think about this a little bit more. It would not have been a mark of character on Joseph to marry an adulterous woman. Joseph had too much character to do that. So he planned to end this espousal, this betrothal with Mary. It was in fact the right thing to do because Mary had been immoral, you know, as far as he knew. As far as he knew. So, think about this. Joseph stood firm about purity. He's prepared to end the, the, the betrothal, the, this espousal. And he was going to do so with some mercy. Think about this for a moment. This is not compromising his holiness now. Follow me here. He's simply not going to blab what's been involved here. He's not going to make her a public example. Her sin, if her pregnancy had been sin, as Joseph, I am sure at this moment, was probably sure of at the moment. If he wasn't sure, he wouldn't have needed a visitation. But if her sin had been, I mean, if if her condition, excuse me, had been sin, it was going to make itself known without Joseph's help. It would be seen. So the interesting thing here is that he didn't need to publicize it. Vengeance is what wants to publicize someone's sin. Vengeance loves to point people's sin out. Hey, you know so-and-so did this. Hey, you know so-and-so did That is vengeance. You feel like it makes you look better, but in reality, it makes you look as though you're being a judge like you've never sinned, and we know that's not the truth. We've all sinned. I grew up a great sinner. Loved every minute of it. And then God made me aware of my sin and I grieved over it and made me aware of his greatness and holiness. Not joining a church. Joining a church doesn't make you a Christian. If so, let's just go get people to join. In fact, forget that. Let's go pay people to join and then they become Christians, right? See, that's not what makes you a Christian. So Joseph had this godly compassion on Mary, and he was going to deal with her sin as quietly as possible. Let me just put her away. We can end this thing. I can move forward. She can deal with it with her parents, however they need to deal with it. But think about this for a minute. Isn't this the way, a beautiful picture of how the church should look at sin? There are times, don't get me wrong, when sins need to be shared publicly so that others may be warned of persons to avoid. No doubt, if there's trouble, wolves within the church causing trouble, that you need to be warned about that. I totally understand. But we live, I, I tell you, we live in a day where if I can find some dirt on a church member, I want to share it. I just, I got to be the first to share it with you. You know, I, because of the guys here from Apple here, and as I said, I'm grateful. One of the things that, we deal with, and most of you know with an apple, is that we deal with a culture. Apple's built a culture of secrecy. That's, that's what's created the mystique of their product. That is. 
And, the, the, you know, the, when you find out something, when we find out something, we're like, oh, man, I'm ready to talk. But we can't. But in the church, though, it's viewed differently. I find out something, and I'm going to talk. But we shouldn't. But we do. We should not. Think about that for a moment. The Bible talks about that the church is, is part of the body. Fingers, hands, arms, feet, legs. Am I happy? Do I love causing more trouble to parts of my body when I'm hurting? Do I like to cause more trouble? See, we have to, take, we have to think of There are some implications here. I know we've been talking hermeneutics here, and we have to be careful pulling doctrine and teachings, but there are things, though, that we can learn of how things are dealt with at times that do help us. Folks, this wasn't the way that Joseph wanted to handle it. Paul tells Timothy how to deal with things publicly in 1 Timothy 5. This is not one of those issues. Joseph, being an honorable man, wanted to do the right thing. Now, think about this for a moment. The problem we've got here is that this is a harsh reality of life. We do our best to make our plans. We line up things like we ought to. Something happens. We see our hopes. We see our plans. Everything comes crashing apart. That's not how I plan my life to be. That's, I, I mean, this is not the way things were supposed to be. Isn't that how we do things in life? So when it happens, we, it breaks our heart and... Things didn't happen like we expected or like we wanted, and we think it's the worst thing possible that can happen. My life has come apart now. I bet Joseph did. Think about it. I mean, listen, the man, has, he has been, while she's been away, he has got everything planned, you know, of what he's going to do, probably where he's going to live. He's got everything planned out of everything he wants to, to do and, and planning his life with Mary, and then she comes back with this problem. And this is a big problem. In his mind, he doesn't understand what's going on here. But like Joseph, oftentimes when our dreams and hopes and desires and plans start coming down and start crashing, we don't realize God's working behind the scenes. He's arranging events that you just don't see. I like to play, though I haven't played lately, chess with Jacob. <clears throat> and I enjoy playing. And I would never tell him what I am planning on my next move and next and next move because I'm waiting for this to happen. Then I'm going to do this. That's God working behind the scenes. It's that picture See, in fact, it's really, now follow me now, in fact, it's God who shatters our dreams. You go, ooh, what do you mean? Remember, God's not a deist. He doesn't just wind up the clock and let things just happen as they happen. God is orchestrating events, and he's taking apart things to place other things where they need to be for things to happen. That's the issue. So God is planning these things. He is the one that shattered our dreams. But follow me. The things that take place in life are not accidents, but they're planned, carefully planned, orchestrated events that help us grow in the Lord. And those that don't know the Lord, they point us to the Lord 
Don't ignore things that happen in your life. Please don't. It's hard for us to understand. It's still the truth. But there's one more thing I want to tell you about this problem. It's a, it is a beautiful lesson in the discovery of Mary's pregnancy. <clears throat> the lesson is, and follow me now, is that when Christ comes into you, it's going to show. Christ is growing in her, and what happens? She's going to start showing more and more and more and more. That's the idea. That when Christ lives in your heart and you have become a follower of Him, it will show. It has to show. It can't help but show. And if it doesn't show, something's wrong. Bad wrong. So the baby's growing inside Mary during pregnancy, and the evidence would be greater. So it's going to be with those who are genuinely a follower of the Lord. But when, follow me, when plain evidence of salvation is lacking week after week in somebody's life, that is when you start to realize maybe this claim is actually bogus. I'm just telling the truth. So we have a problem, but the next thing that I want you to see in verse 20 is we've got now, there's a task that I want us to see. There's a task here. And notice verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now notice this. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we've already noted here, that's the, the interesting part is that God, now follow me, God has kept Joseph in the dark. He's kept him in the dark here about how she became pregnant. See, but follow me on this though too, is that keeping Joseph in the dark was not without a purpose. Because this is the beautiful part here. Keeping him in the dark tested Joseph's faith and showed you the man's character. He could have easily said, away with this harlot. Be gone with her, expose her to the city officials at the gate, and she will be judged. And within the law, he had every right to do so and would not have been looked down on. To be honest, he would not. But then all of a sudden, in this dream, an angel tells Joseph her condition is not caused by a man, but through the Holy Spirit, the child, Mary, being a child of sorts. I mean, she's a young, young girl, carries in her womb this unique child, who was going to save his people from their sins. And I, may, I wonder, I don't know if it's true, I do wonder in my mind if this made Joseph think about Jeremiah chapter 31, that it brought to mind the promises that God would provide salvation through this new covenant. It made, I, I just wonder, I don't know. And then the angel tells him that this is in keeping with God's plan according to Isaiah seven fourteen. 
The prophet had declared 700 years earlier that a virgin would be with a child. I wonder if they made him go, wow. You just wonder. So, interesting here. It's, I, I like this. It says here that you'll, in verse 21, she will bear a son and call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. Later to call him Emmanuel. Look at the names given to him. The name Jesus means Savior coming from a Hebrew name. Joshua, Jehovah is salvation. Because there were many Jewish boys in that day that would be called Joshua in the Greek Jesus. But Mary's boy, though, was called Jesus the Christ. A little different now. The Christ now meaning anointed. It's the Greek equivalent of Messiah. So he's Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. And Emmanuel describes who he is, God with us. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So it's interesting to note here that God sent this angel to him while he's sleeping. Nighttime or dark. A beautiful picture of the moment. It's a dark time in Joseph's life. You think about that. A dark time in your life, what you're going through. He lets Lazarus lay in a grave till it says that he will smell. And then he comes to raise him. Keeps him in the dark. He lets the widow's son who's being carried out the gate ready to be buried. And then raises him. Keeps them in the dark until. He lets the storms become storms that are threatening the life of the disciples. And then he decides to calm the storms. Keeps them in the dark until the time. He stands up to feed 5,000 plus people after they realize they don't have food and they've been in the dark of what they're going to do with all these people. You see, when God decides to use you or Joseph, there's going to be some trials along that way. You've heard me say it. You don't grow on your hilltops. You grow in your valleys. Marriages don't get stronger by winning lotteries and living the great life. They get strong by living the tough life and having nothing. That's how they get strong. Elijah had to hide himself by the river before he could stand in power at Mount Carmel. Think about David had to deal with lions and bears in private before he could face Goliath in public. There's going to be times where it's dark in your life. Joy does come in the morning, though. It's a wonderful thing. But isn't that the way the Lord works? He lets something in your life, in my life, get to a breaking point. And then he steps in. And the wonderful thing about it is, is that what is that, what is that for? That seems mean. No, it doesn't seem mean. He's highlighting the fact that you and I can't fix it. And he can. He 
saves the day. See, think about it. We're saved, we become followers of Him, and we become followers of Him when we come to the end of ourselves in a dark moment in our life. When I was saved, God made me aware of my sin and overwhelmed me. I was in the middle of sin. He overwhelmed me about my sin. I went to my knees and I cried out to Him that He would change me and forgive me. But then, evidence started to show. I realized this strange feeling I had. I'm like, I need to find a church. I wasn't raised in church. I, I, I need to read this, this book called a Bible. I, I need to read it. I need to, I need to understand it. I need to see it. And all of a sudden, it's, it's starting to grow within me. It, like the pregnancy. You see? The thing is, is that when your dreams lie broken all around you and everything seems to be totally dashed, totally broken around you, everything may look very bleak from your perspective. But you need to understand that God is working things out in your life. God has brought people in your life for reasons. God has brought you here for reasons today, whatever it may be. So the task is, is that Joseph's got to do something now. He's faced with this decision. He's got to do something. He's, he has to decide what he's going to do here. You know, the, there's the problem, but, man, there's a task here. What do you do? What do you do? Well, lastly, look in verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the, Lord, as the angel Lord commanded him, and he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. And so now we've got really the evidence We've got the evidence. See, there's the price in doing what the Lord wants you to do, and sometimes it's, it's going to be tough. You have to understand something, and I want you to think about this. Joseph's going to pay, he's going to pay a price to marry Mary. There's a price he's going to pay. The price was going to be that of reproach and some dishonor. Because you have to understand... He already made it clear that he wants to respect and, and protect her honor. That is, it would be better for Mary to be married and have a child than not married and have a child. So she would always be under this cloud of reproach. But the marriage at least would take a little bit of pressure, a little bit of the stigma off of her, a little bit. Not lots, but it would take some off. So you have to think about this now, because this is really a big deal here. But Joseph marrying her would take the reproach and the stigma on him. Oh, oh, you, you marry her. Oh, I see, okay. So, if he had not married her or put her away, he could have cleared his name. I'm, a, I'm done with you, lady. And you're out of here. You're being exposed to the city officials for your sin and crime. But now he's willing, I like what Robertson says, he was willing to shelter Mary by marrying her and if necessary, take upon himself whatever stigma that might be attached to her. Beautiful picture of love. Beautiful picture of love. 
You have to think about it. Now, let's face it. Many folk in that day say, oh, this is one of those hurry-up marriages. You know, they just couldn't wait. They just went ahead and they were together. You know, and that's, that's going to happen. People are going to think it. But that reproach was in the price of obedience. Obedience still had to pay a price. But Joseph's willing to pay that price to do what God told him to do. So the evidence is he got up and he got to it. So remember, you can go as far as you want to go and do as much as you want to do. And you know what? You can pray, kids, you can pray and ask God to help you do well in a test. But if you're not going to study, God's not going to impart some supernatural wisdom to you. The man that sits at home and is lazy and asking God to dump food in his lap, I don't believe God honors that. So I believe that, yes, God will tell you what you need to do, but you need to be obedient and do what you know you are supposed to do, and that is what Joseph did. It said that he went and he did. See, the process of Joseph marrying Mary would have definitely given, some, given up some protection. Follow me on this now. I like what Matthew Henry says here. He says, wouldn't it be better in Matthew 13 where it says, is this not the son of a carpenter? Isn't that better than... Is this not the son of a harlot? Interesting. So there is, there's, it's going to bring on, you know, let's face it. I mean, the process of him marrying her was going to be giving up some of the protection here. And it's true that the shadow over Mary's character, I, I now just, just me personally, I'm not convinced was ever totally removed. Many people believe in John 8 that they're making reference to, we were not born of fornication. I'm wondering if they're making slaps in John 8 about Jesus. I'm not sure. The idea, though, is I'm sure there were people that always wondered about Mary, Joseph, Jesus. I'm sure there were. But the interesting part I love here is that the timing here. In verse 24, it says here, When he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord said for him to do. He didn't delay in obedience here. Immediately he got up from his sleep. He started doing what the Lord told him to do. And underscores, I believe, the genuineness of what he was supposed to do. Folks, when you delay in your obedience, that is disobedience. But look at even the depth of it. And I love it here is that Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord told him. He obeyed completely. He didn't go like Moses, well, I'm really not a good speaker here. I really have a problem. He just did it. He didn't try to bargain with God. Can you let me off the hook on this one? Can, we, can something happen here? Can we sort of remove this problem? Not at all. Not at all. This wasn't one of those, like the game show I grew up watching, Let's Make a Deal. He didn't go, God, can we make a deal on this? And, or God says, let's make a deal. You can choose one, two. God says, do it. And he chose to do it. I love it. But then in 24, it goes on and literally says, he did as angel Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. Now, I want you to follow this because I'm, I'm closing here by saying, I want you to follow this. The language here is really interesting. The language is not the language we use to describe marriage because in our culture, a man does not marry his wife. Follow me. A man marries a girl who becomes his wife because of the wedding. 
But in the Jewish custom of espousal or betrothal, Joseph is said to have married his wife. Remember, they're already viewed as married in a legal sense. Twice in Matthew, Mary is referred to as Joseph's wife when Joseph had not yet officially, officially married her. That shows you the strength of this espousal. It is powerfully strong. So, what, is this, what does this show me? Well, I think there's a couple things real quick here in talking about marriage. I think is number one, the fact that Joseph married the woman God told him to marry. Don't marry somebody just because they're pretty. I hope my wife didn't marry me for my then salt and pepper hair. Because it is now, as, as I've told you, definitely more salt. I hope she didn't marry me for my looks, because I will definitely not get more handsome, though she would be kind and maybe say yes. I'm sure my teeth will, you know, fall out, my eyesight will grow worse. Guys at Apple know I have to live with these, and, and they'll probably get to where they're thicker and stronger and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying that we're to marry who God says we're to marry. But the interesting part that I find very neat is that Joseph married a woman where Christ was evident in her. She's able to speak of what the Lord has shown her. And so, gentlemen that love the Lord, make sure you're marrying a lady that loves God greatly. Please. You're just a beautiful picture of side note there. But to me, all this is such a a strong indictment of how we live to please men. Joseph's not worried about what the men at the city gate are going to say about him. He's not even worried about what his daddy's going to say. He's not worried about what Mary's mom and daddy are saying. Later on in Matthew 12, she did not remain, by the way, a perpetual virgin. Matthew 12 highlights they had children later. That would have been an impossibility, folks. But I think that this is a beautiful picture that Joseph wasn't worried about the men at the city gates here. But we live to please men. I want you to like me. But we live in a day where we live to please men and care nothing about what God would have. We, we live like we want to live when things go bad and tragedy strikes. We want God's intervention. Isn't that what we want? When things level back out, we start living on our own. And if things don't level out, then we accuse God of being unfair and mean and not loving. So in any way there is, God is not going to win in reference to man's views. Living for and loving God is what Joseph did. He showed love. God showed Joseph love by showing him what he was to do at the right moment while in the dark. And then Joseph shows love to Mary by doing the right thing, though it was not popular and would have caused him shame probably the rest of his life. So we have to think about that. Being loved or hated, stoned or honored, he was obedient to God. Don't weigh out what something is worth. Obeying God is always worth doing what's right. Obeying God may lead you to death like Voice of the Martyrs gives news about every month. Or it may turn out well. Don't weigh out what's, what's going to benefit you the most. 
do what's right. I am, I've told those of you in our community group and our family, we've been talking about this the last year in our family. Jim Elliott, and I think about his mission with Nate Sane and all the other gentlemen, and I think that they realize going into and dealing with a tribal people that were not known for being very hospitable. I'm thankful that Jim Elliott was willing to go and witness to a group of people and they ended up having been speared to death. That later their wives went back in and ministered to these groups of people and now those, there are people groups within those tribal people that love the Lord and serve Him. Don't weigh out what it's worth. Are you willing to lose your life? Don't weigh that out. The Lord holds your life right here anyway. When He's ready to take you, He will take you. Don't weigh that out. But then the last beautiful part is that he called his name Jesus. So when the baby's eight years old, he's taken to the temple, he's circumcised, he's given the name Jesus. This name would one day be the focus of the world. Whether it's at Apple, whether it's in a mall, whether it's in your business, whether it's at McDonald's, wherever it is, you can mention the name God and... There's not so much a disdain. You mention Jesus and people's heads will turn. That name's been exalted above all names. It has. Why is that? Because this name one day would be the focus. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 that we call on the name of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says we assemble in the name of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, we are justified in the name of Jesus. In Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Think about that. 1 John chapter 3, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. So, you think about the evidence here, definitely obedience. You think about the task. He's got some tough stuff to do, and there's a big problem. But I am thankful that the Lord has shown Joseph great love and what to do, and he's shown us love by sending his son. Do you know Christ? I didn't ask, have you joined a church? Do you know Christ? And as I often say to people, What's going to make your dying breath easier? Having more money? Having more stuff? Because I've, I've shared with you, and I know our pastor has, you stand by a man or a woman drawing their last breath, and let me tell you, it's a sobering thing. And they all of a sudden, at many times, not always, they all of a sudden start to have a little clarity of what they have missed on, even family. They start having regrets. But the ultimate regret is who you're going to see when you draw that last breath. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Christ, please be honored during this time. Please take the feeble words that I have shared. Lord, if I've shared too much, I ask your forgiveness. If I've not shared enough, please would forgive me. Please work in the hearts of those that are here, not that they may be impressed with me, but may they be impressed with you and the love that you have shown us by sending your Son for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.